Thank you, Naomi. Let's uh, just bow our heads and have a prayer over that passage as we seek to, um, to learn from it. Holy Spirit, we believe that as you moved the writers of the Holy Scriptures to write truth, truth about the human heart, truth about God, truth about the plan of God for his people. So we pray that same Holy Spirit would uh, enlighten our minds, encourage our hearts, and strengthen us for obedient service. In Jesus' name, amen. Sooner or later, every preacher ends up telling a certain story, it's a little fable, really. And it concerns the Lord Jesus, who shortly after his uh, horrendous sufferings and his wonderful resurrection and his glorious ascension back to heaven, was, I suppose, having a bit of a rest, a well-earned rest, and a little group of angels um, who longed to look into such things, um, were having a little natter, and then they tentatively approached the Lord Jesus and said, um, uh, Master, it is great to have you back again, but um, how are you leaving things back down there on earth? Um, now that you've finished uh, your work down there and come back to be with us, um, what's, what's going to happen down there? And Jesus replies uh, in quite a relaxed way, saying, well, I've left um, 11 disciples down there. They're going to carry on my work for me. And uh, this, the angels begin to feel a little bit nervous and say, well, those 11 disciples, you already lost one who betrayed you. Then the one who sort of fancied himself as a leader, Peter, he, we seem to recall, denied you. And then others that we've heard of, James and John, they argued about just who was going to have the most important uh, roles in, in your government. And uh, then there was Thomas, he was a bit of a doubter. Then there's others who, whose names are hardly written on the page of history so far at all. You're going to leave it all to them? And Jesus' reply was still very relaxed when he said, yes, I'm leaving it to them. I have no other plan. It must have seemed to them, those disciples themselves, as well as to those watching uh, angels, like mission impossible. Um, and so it may seem for the, our hopes for the work of God and of the gospel today because if Jesus was leaving the gospel in the hands of those 11, and yes, there were some others, there were some very faithful women and so on, but if Jesus was leaving it in the, hand, the gospel in the hands of that small bunch of insignificant people, then we may feel pretty much the same today. The, church, uh, the Christian church is often said to be in terminal decline, irreversible decline, uh, to take this country, for example, um, uh, statistically, um, 
then the projection is that if uh, church attendance continues to decline at its current rate, the churches will be absolutely empty in less than 50 years' time. And the Anglican churches, the uh, churches belonging to the Church of England, empty well before then. And it's not only the numbers of church attenders uh, that we might be concerned about, but the confusion, the fragmentation, and the marginalization of the Christian faith, the Christian church, in this country. Now, even, of course, in this country, it's not all bad news, because there are many evangelical and Pentecostal churches that are not shrinking, they're growing. As in any case, a statistical, statistical projection is not the same as a prediction. <laughs> they mean different things. Um, but in any case, we are thinking very parochially if we only think about what's happening in terms of church uh, attendance and the health of the Christian church in this country. The picture is very different in many other parts of the globe. In the list of top 20 churches that are growing fastest, there are, no country, uh, 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 there are no countries from Europe or North America or from Latin America. But there are significant parts of the, church, uh, of the world where the Christian faith and the Christian church is growing, and sometimes at a remarkable rate. I mean, growing at doubling in size every six or seven years. Nepal, China, United Arab Emirates... Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Mongolia, Cambodia, South Sudan, Guinea, Kuwait, and the list goes on. So let's not be too parochial about the success of the gospel and the health of the Christian church. And yet, of course, we do live in this country, and so we are concerned about the gospel here, in this place, in this city, and in this country. But let's not forget the overall picture. But if it seemed like mission impossible to those angels then, and it sometimes feels like mission impossible to us today, and Jesus has no other plan than the people whom he has left, the 11 disciples and the few other followers then, and us and people like us today... There is only the one plan, and no, he, has, he has made no other plans. There's no plan B. What gives us confidence that that one plan will succeed despite any and all appearances? Well, in our Bible passage uh, tonight, uh, as Richard said, the beginning of a series in the, the book called The Acts of the Apostles, rightly just called Acts there, um, because it's not, the Bible doesn't, it seldom doesn't call it the Acts of the Apostles. Um, uh, the Holy Spirit is so pr- uh, prominent in this book of the Bible that uh, sometimes it's called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty good name too. But actually, as you will see from verse 1, we have... Uh, and by the way, we are on page 1092 in the Church Bibles. Please do make sure you have a Bible open uh, with you. Then, 
it becomes clear that as far as Luke, the author of this book, is concerned, what he's writing here is the second volume of which the first volume was the Gospel of Luke. And if the Gospel of Luke was his former book, in which uh, Luke recorded all of the things that Jesus, Jesus began to do and to teach, then Acts records all the things that Jesus continued to do and teach. And what is it in these first 11 verses of Acts, then, that give us confidence, eager expectation, and hope, hopefulness? That that commission, in verse 8, from Jesus to those disciples, those few followers that he had left, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, and Samaria to the end of the earth. What gives us confidence that that commission would have been and continues and will be successful? Let me pick out three things from uh, this passage. The first reason for confidence is this. It concerns the Father's reign. God the Father's reign. Do you see in verse 3 that Jesus is still speaking about the kingdom of God? That was a prominent topic of teaching for Jesus right from the beginning of his ministry in the Gospels. And he's still teaching about the kingdom of God. Now, when you and I think about the word kingdom, we tend to think about territory, don't we? We know what the United Kingdom consists of. It's the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and it still has Scotland in for the foreseeable future. We know its boundaries. But the word in Scripture, the, king, the word kingdom in Scripture, means something rather different. It's not referring to any geographical territory. It's referring rather to sovereignty or rule, or the word I've used here, reign. The kingdom of God is the sphere of God's reign. And Jesus is continuing to teach his disciples about God's reign. Now, the disciples have a question for him. No doubt on the back of all this teaching about God's reign, God's kingdom. And the question comes in verse 6. Do you see it there? Where they ask uh, the master, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, um, many uh, expositors of this passage think that the, this, this question is completely, um, uh, completely mis- misplaced. The great John Calvin, the great reformer, uh, famously said, there are as many errors in that question as there are words. And more recently, the late John Stott was inclined to agree. Now, I'd always think twice about disagreeing with people, with, a-class, a, a um, A-list expositors like Calvin and Stott, so I'll just think twice. Yep, done that. Um, I don't think the question is completely misplaced. Um, I think that the disciples were on to something. Jesus had been teaching about the kingdom of God. We've just uh, seen that. And they kind of were beginning to realize that although all kinds of things had happened in recent weeks that they weren't expecting, that something big was now on the cards. Jesus had lived and died, gloriously risen from the dead. 
they had been expecting all the way through, like faithful Jews, like good, uh, good, good Jews, that God would restore the kingdom uh, to, to Jerusalem and to, uh, and, 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 to, and, and to Israel, that he would once again reign in his, amongst his own people and then punish those naughty Gentiles for having oppressed uh, God's people all those years. They had that sense that, this, that God was about to do that now, that Jesus was about to do that now. It was not completely mistaken, but they were mistaken in two vital respects in their question. Firstly, they were mistaken with regard to the time scale. They were asking, are we nearly there yet? You know, the kind of question that children ask on a journey. I was used to, uh, when they were small, um, if we're, say, driving to uh, Sheffield or the Lake District, by the time we're driving through Cossie, they'd be saying, are we nearly there yet? Um, And the disciples are a bit like that, and they're saying, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus responds to that. He doesn't say, your question is completely misplaced. He said, no, you're mistaken with regard to timing. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father has set by his own authority. He says, I'm not going to tell you. It's none of your business. I mean, goodness knows, that's clear enough, isn't it? But how many Christians down the years have wasted their time, other people's time, drawing up timescales of uh, history, and especially of history leading up to Christ's glorious return, also promised in this passage, when Jesus has said, you don't know, you can't know. It's not for you to know the hour or the day. And concerning the hour or the day of these things, Jesus Matthew chapter 24, had remarkably said, concerning that day and that hour, not even the angels in heaven know, nor even the Son, not even himself, but only the Father in heaven. Remarkable. That saying of Jesus, concerning the, <laughs> the time is set, only God the Father knows. So they mistaken with regard to this time scale. They thought they, they thought and hoped it would be now, and Jesus says, it's none of your business. The other mistake they made was in, in terms of the extent of God's kingdom, because they're talking about res- restoring the kingdom to Israel. They wanted it for us, for me, and for people like us. Um, they were, want to sort of gather in God's blessing and have it for themselves, I guess. And Jesus turns that on its head and says, no, if you are blessed with the gospel, is not for yourselves, it's for it to be sent out, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, so the ripples are moving out, and then to the ends of the earth. What a task, what a commission. That's what Jesus is teaching them, and that's what he's teaching us too, concerning their task and his promise. So the Father's reign, the bringing in, the ushering in of God's kingdom, is in hand. The timing of the completion of that, we do not know and we cannot know. The task to tell the world, we can know and we do know and we are a part of. That's the first reason we can have confidence in the mission that Jesus has left to his disciples and to us. And concerning the promise of the completion of this in terms of God's kingdom, just a quote 
uh, from the last book of the Bible, Revelation, which foresees a time when heaven will shout with joy that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. God's good and righteous kingdom will prevail. God speed the day. You notice that's of our our Lord, that's God the Father, and of his Christ. So that brings us to the second reason for confidence in the mission of the gospel, the mission that Jesus has given. And that concerns the Son's authority. We have the Father's reign, but now secondly, the Son's authority. Now, on one other occasion, Jesus came right out and said it concerning his authority. All authority, he said, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here, his authority is not quite so overt, but it's still very apparent. It's apparent in the first uh, verse, where we see, as I've mentioned already, that Jesus is continuing to do, throughout the Acts, what he began to do, as recorded in the Gospel of Luke and the other Gospels. When Jesus, uh, in the Gospels, Jesus had authority in his teaching. He had authority over demons. He had authority over sickness. He had authority over death itself by rising from the grave. And that authority is continued uh, as the acts are the continuing acts and teaching of Jesus through his spirit to his apostles. There is authority in Jesus' resurrection. Please, uh, may I remind you that in verse 3, there is a witness to Jesus' resurrection with many convincing proofs. This is in a sense, the central fact, the central historical fact of the Christian faith. If you have doubts about the bodily resurrection of Jesus, then I urge you to look at the record, to look at the witnesses, and see if you will not agree, as many skeptics down the years have set out to disprove the resurrection, then looking at the evidence found They are compelled to believe in it. I urge you to look at the evidence for yourself, the evidence of the witness, and think there is no other explanation for what happened uh, in that empty tomb than that Jesus rose from the dead. But there there is authority in the resurrection. It's not just a resuscitation. Oh, he's back. Oh, we thought he was dead, but he's alive again. No, there's authority in the resurrection because the resurrection shows that God himself has pulled forward his new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, completed in the future, and started that right now. From the day of Jesus' resurrection onwards, nothing will ever be quite the same again. That new world, that new life has begun already. There's authority over... God's own, uh, uh, the entire cosmos in the resurrection of Jesus. There's authority in his commission because you notice that as with Jesus' other uh, uh, commissions to his disciples, it's not an invitation or a suggestion, it's a command. Go. You will be my witnesses. When he says you will be my witnesses, witnesses to me, 
the primary purpose of Christian witnessing is not about me and what I've experienced, but Jesus and who he is and what he has done. But also there's authority in his, and especially authority in his ascension. I sometimes think that Jesus' ascension is too neglected, not given sufficient prominence in our teaching and our thinking in the Christian church. Um, but it gets great prominence in the Acts of the Apostles. Um, If in your small group, um, or when in your small group, you are looking at this part of Acts, or when the uh, ascension is mentioned, there's one or two things that you may want to look back to. Fantastic prophecy in Daniel, chapter 7. Um, Psalm 110, verse 1. Um, the, The verse which is most quoted more than any other in the New Testament, nearly 20 times, that verse, Psalm 110, verse 1, is good, and those passages are both prophecies of the glorious ascension of Jesus and the authority that it thereby confers on him. Or, to come back nearer home, Acts 2, verse 33, no sooner has the Holy Spirit fallen with power on the apostles and Peter stands up to preach in Acts chapter 2, he is talking about Jesus being exalted to the right hand of God. That's typical Acts language for the ascension of Jesus. And you can see, can't you, as I can see, that's the language of authority, to be sitting or standing at the right hand of a powerful person, to be their right-hand man, is a position of trust and of authority. And then Peter goes on to say, yes, he's been exalted to the right hand of the Father, and he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out, uh, uh, out what you now, now see and hear, which now brings us to the third reason for absolute confidence in the gospel today, and that is the Spirit's power, the Father's reign, the Son's authority, and the Spirit's power. Do you see how in verse uh, <coughs> 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my my witnesses. They had to wait for the Spirit. The task was urgent. They knew the facts. They were witnesses to Jesus and his resurrection, but they still weren't ready (laughs) to go out and be witnesses until they had been empowered by the Holy Spirit. So vital is the Holy Spirit for this work of witnessing. The coming of the Holy Spirit is described as being a baptism in the Holy Spirit, to be immersed in the Holy Spirit, to be be living in that that entire sphere of the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in Scripture are Christians today commanded to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We should ask and hope and expect and pray for such a filling, because only that power can give us, uh, can give the gospel in our lips and in our lives in this church the power it so desperately needs. And then the Holy Spirit empowers. When you receive the Holy Spirit, then you receive power. Now, the power comes in a variety of ways as we go through Acts. It certainly comes in the form of miracles, wonderful miracles. But time and time again, the power of the Holy Spirit is associated with boldness of speech. 
When here, the task is to witness, isn't it? To speak, to testify to Jesus, to open your mouth and say who he is and what he's done. And the power comes from the Holy Spirit to give the speaker boldness and persuasiveness and clarity, and at the same time to give the hearer openness, receptivity, and so on. And so we find, just in the spaces, uh, space of a few verses in chapter 4, uh, typical Acts words. They were, ho- they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they said, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be released to speak boldly and powerfully, and to witness to Jesus. And so we come back to the mission that they had been given and that we have been given too, to be witnesses to Jesus. They were sent to Jerusalem, the very place that had stoned the prophets and killed the Lord of glory. They were sent to Samaria, a nation of half-castes, where the message that Jesus is, uh, where, where, uh, where they didn't know how to, uh, uh, how or where to worship properly. They were then sent to the ends of the earth, not least to Rome itself, where the message that Jesus is Lord would come into stark contrast with the cult of the emperor, which said, Caesar is Lord. Jesus never promised to them or to us that it would be easy We're going to get to chapter 7 and the first Christian martyr. There are divisions, there are disagreements, there's oppression and persecution. Acts ends with Paul speaking freely about the kingdom of God, but in Rome and in prison, and he's going to be killed for his faith too. How many of those first 11 disciples died of old age, comfortably in their own beds, we don't know. But we believe, certainly tradition says, that hardly any of them did that, that most of them died for their faith. Jesus never said it would be easy, but he did promise it would be successful, given the faithfulness of his people to the commission. The Father's reign, the Son's authority, and the Spirit's power all say that God's good purposes cannot be frustrated. Where is your Jerusalem? Where is the nearby place that maybe is not going to welcome you, but you need to speak a witness for Jesus? Where is your Judea? Where is your Samaria? Where are your ends of the earth? We have been given the same commission as they have. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are with us if we remain faithful to them and to the message. May God give us help and strength to do so. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you reign, that you have a kingdom which cannot be assailed. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have authority May you have authority in this church and in our lives as we seek to be obedient to your word and to your will and to your wonderful gospel. Holy Spirit, we can do nothing without your power. 
But with you empowering us, with you filling us, we can do all things. May your good gospel and all its wonderful entailments for goodness, kindness, generosity, justice, truth, and all the rest, may your gospel go forth with power from us, from this place, in this, uh, in this uh, city, in this land, and to the ends of the earth, just as you send us. Amen.